This episode contains descriptions of abuse, harm against minors, and racism. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is S. Mukherjee's preface to Indian Ghost Stories, the collection of tales that includes The Boy Possessed. In India, ghosts and their stories are looked upon with respect and fear. I have heard all sorts of ghost stories from my nurse and my father's coachman, Abdullah, who used to be my constant companion in my childhood, as well as from my friends who were judges and magistrates and other responsible servants of government, and in two cases from judges of Indian high courts. In this book, there are a few of those stories only which are true to the best of the author's knowledge and belief. Some of these narratives may, no doubt, savour too much of the nature of a cock-and-bull story, but the reader must remember that there are more things in heaven and earth, and that truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. Hi everyone. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story... The Boy Possessed comes from a 1914 collection of tales called Indian Ghost Stories, compiled and edited by S. Mukherjee. In many ways, this story is more urban legend than conventional folktale. In India, stories of ghost possessions are common, and at the time, the tale's setting, during Britain's occupation of India, was frightfully modern. But perhaps most disturbing, is the author's insistence that the story actually happened. Coming up, we'll meet a troubled little boy. Kabir loved his job. The doctors and nurses rarely noticed his work, but he was proud of what he did, even if he had never expected to be a hospital cook. The position had fallen into his hands through a strange set of circumstances. Kabir found himself in the curious spot of owing his fortune to a colonizer. As can be expected, it did not come without suffering. His own and a child's. Years ago, long before he was a cook, Kabir was a chai seller, wandering railways and markets with his collection of cups. He would take the orders to the main stall, fill them up, and return them to his patrons on the train platform or under the awnings. Every day was a musical cycle of porcelain china clinking on his cart. 
On scorching days, the hot winds made it unbearable to be outside. Luckily, the local hospital would occasionally let Kabir sneak in to serve their patients. There was shade from the sun, and a set of fans sent cool air through the main wards. Kabir dreamed of working in a place like this. But he was the son of a chai seller, and his grandfather was a chai seller before him. Kabir was thankful to even be let in, so he pushed his little cart quietly through the hallways so as not to disrupt anyone. On one of these lucky days, the hospital was strangely empty. So he ventured further into the sterile space in search of customers. The only occupied ward had one bed in the furthest corner of the room. A small, frail body lay there with blankets up to his chin. Kabir thought perhaps it was an old man on the brink of death. He approached the figure slowly and realized he was not a suffering old man, but a child of eight at the very most. His skin was deep brown, his dark hair clung to his face. His body was half hidden in shadow, but Kabir could see small lesions along his cheekbones and chest. He figured the boy's parents would be along shortly, so he began to make his sale. Good morning, sir. How are you today? The boy laughed with a voice that was deeper than Kabir expected. Then he looked at Kabir with a strange smile and asked, why should I complain to you about my sorry state? Tis the mischief of the sky that decides my fate. Kabir knew the couplets the child was reciting. The great Mirza Ghalib's ghazals were a favorite of his, and he was not alone. Ghalib's poems were so popular, even the English enjoyed them. What Kabir could not understand was how a child so young would know them. The boy opened his mouth again, but no words came. The mirth died in his eyes. He sat up in bed, his back as straight as a reed. With his face in the light, Kabir could finally see the deep cuts across his cheeks. Crusts of blood caked on his forehead, and the imprint of a hand marred his neck like a bruise. Strangely, it looked as if the hand's impression had come from within the boy. The chai seller was frightened for him, or perhaps of him. He didn't realize he was trembling until the porcelain cups in his hands began to clatter. Kabir fought to still them, reminding himself that there was nothing to be afraid of. The boy was just having an episode of some kind. And as for the bruise, well, the disturbed did hurt themselves sometimes. The boy coughed so hard, Kabir worried his ribs would break. When he stopped coughing, he uttered a string of syllables Kabir didn't understand. In English. He asked the boy to slow down, and the child's lips thinned into a firm line. His expression was haughty and cold. It reminded Kabir of one of those agents of the British Crown, a kind of occupier who'd taken his family's crop yield for the year, then still insisted that Kabir's parents owed them more. The boy repeated himself, but the sounds were harsh and stuttered. Kabir only knew a few words of English, but he caught one. Fool. The boy folded his hands in his lap. Then he glanced behind Kabir's shoulder and smiled. Kabir turned to see a British soldier striding toward them. 
Kabir stepped back and tried to look inconspicuous, but the white man nearly bowled him over as he went to the boy. Kabir crept away as quietly as he could, cursing each squeak of his cart's wheels, but the two paid him no mind. He heard the soldier speak in clunky Hindi, and then the language switched. The soldier and the boy were now speaking that same tense, whispered English. Kabir slowed to watch them, mesmerized, when someone grabbed his shoulder. He yelped and fell against a tired-looking senior nurse. She was the first caregiver he'd seen in the wing. From the steely look in her eye, Kabir wondered if she was the only one brave enough to face the strange child and his imperial friend. Hello, Chai Seller, she said. I am Mohini. What is your name? He nodded in deference and told the nurse his name. She smiled at him, but he noticed that the smile didn't quite reach her eyes. Tell me, Kabir, she began. Would you like a job in this lovely hospital? The thought of shade and the hospital's many fans was tempting, but he wasn't sure that even the promise of cool air was enough to justify going near that strange boy again. A Bengali doctor breezed past them and into the boy's room. Kabir glanced inside to see the British soldier yelling at the doctor and the child. He was irate, his hands clenched into fists, as if he was planning to hit the child for some perceived insolence. Kabir knew he should have left, but the boy held his gaze through it all. An oddly serene smile stretched across his bruised face. Then he laughed, dark and guttural. The laugh of a full-grown man. Kabir heard Mohini quietly praying, first to Ganesha and then to other gods. It seemed to be less out of fright than a need for preparation. When he gave her a curious look, she whispered, The boy has been possessed by the spirit of a British general. He died during the revolt. Kabir's eyes widened. He had heard stories of possession before, but had never seen one himself. And never had he heard of a British ghost possessing the body of a child. It was strange, unheard of even. But what was also odd is that this spirit had died decades before. Kabir shook his head. But the revolt was 50 years ago. Mohini nodded in agreement. It was. But the ghost inside the boy knows this British soldier's father, and he is telling him some very troubling stories. Kabir was sure it was a trick of some kind, but then the boy looked right at him eyes flashing with fiery violence. His dark irises seemed almost blue in the shadows. His gaze burned against Kabir's skin as if the boy wanted to rip him apart. Then, for a moment, the anger faded and the boy became the most frightened creature he had ever beheld. There was pain in his eyes and helplessness Kabir wondered if he was old enough to even comprehend the horror he was facing. He turned to Mohini. What does this British general want? She leaned closer, her voice low. That is why I asked you if you want a job, Kabir. The general wants food. 
He says we must bring mutton to the well in the courtyard, or else the child will suffer more than anyone in our country ever has. Kabir was confused. Couldn't the kitchen staff take care of this task? But Mohini cut him off with a look that made the words wither in his mouth. They are willing to lose their jobs to avoid the risk of this task. But if you carry it out, I will make sure you get a job in return. Are you willing to do it? Kabir thought for a moment. The cooks and orderlies were right to worry. If the general wanted food brought to the well, it was likely that he could haunt two places at once. The spirit in the well could kill whoever visited, and to die at the hands of such a creature would be a terrible thing indeed. Kabir's body might not be recovered. The rites would remain unfinished, and his soul would not rest. Yet the boy's scared eyes lingered in his mind and those tempting fans swirled above his head, luring him with the promise of refuge from the unforgiving heat. Kabir realized that perhaps he could get what he wanted and do a good thing too. He agreed to the task. Kabir and Mohini waited in the kitchen as the cooks worked. They'd already been preparing a gravy for dinner, and they hoped it would suit the ghostly general. Kabir could hear the soldier yelling from the other room, but he couldn't figure out any hint of meaning beyond general rage. Mohini wasn't paying attention anymore. She just stood, softly praying. When the food was ready, Kabir grabbed a piece of roti, dragged it through the gravy, and scooped it into his mouth. He shook his head. No. This will not do. There's not enough salt. The cook glowered at him. You are a chai seller, a delivery boy, and a doomed man. Do as you're told. Kabir nodded, quietly palming a small bowl of salt. Some part of him told him he would need it. The English weren't fond of any other seasoning, but they adored salt. Kabir always made sure to have something bland but salty at his cart if they asked for food with their tea. As he carried out the silver tray of mutton into the hallway, Kabir couldn't help but peek into the boy's ward. The child jerked backwards and forwards, making low, guttural sounds. It almost sounded like two people were speaking, one in English and the other in Urdu, one old and one young, one evil and one innocent. Kabir rushed outside, where the hot wind threatened to carry him away. He did his best to cover the tray of food, keeping dust away as he approached the well. Kabir looked over the stone wall, peering nervously into its depths. The water below was murky, and water bugs danced atop its surface. He watched it warily, searching for any sign of movement. Then he set the tray on the lip of the well and reached down to pick up the bucket at his feet. The bucket was slick and oily in his hands. As he lifted it, a rancid smell hit Kabir's nose and he gagged. He held his breath and carefully placed the silver tray inside. As he did, he glanced at the dark water again. From the depths, a pair of pale blue eyes 
were glaring up at him. Coming up, Kabir meets the monster in the well. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons, mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. Kabir's heart rose to his throat. From the depths of the well's murky waters, he'd seen the gleam of eyes, blue eyes, glaring up at him. But when he blinked, they were gone. He shuddered despite the scorching heat, his thoughts racing. He should have left as soon as he saw that strange boy. His tea stand was a nice business. He didn't need to risk his life for the chance to work at the hospital. He did not need to be part of this. But the terrified look in the little boy's face was seared into his mind. Kabir had never seen a possession up close. It seemed impossible that an English general's spirit would take an Indian child's body, but that seemed to be the case. And he felt he couldn't walk away. And now here he stood, before the well in the hospital courtyard, prepared to carry out the spirit's strange demands. It seemed a waste to dump a perfectly good plate of mutton rogan josh into the sludgy water, but he had no other choice. Kabir steeled himself to lower the bucket of food into the well, but when he peered over the edge, he saw a flash of something white move beneath the water. He nearly dropped the bucket in surprise, but then it was gone. Kabir shook his head, resolving not to look down as he finished his task. Then he caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of his eye. It was Mohini. The old nurse was standing in the doorway behind him, watching him closely. Kabir swallowed. The last thing he wanted was an audience. He carefully swung the bucket over the well's dark opening, holding the rope tight. His hands shook as he lowered the rope. Each twist of the old twine pinched at his skin, but the bucket made it to the water. He kept it hovering just above the surface, waiting for something to happen, though he wasn't sure what it would be. He almost let go of the rope entirely when a mottled pink and grey hand broke through the surface. A bulbous head stared back at him. Its features were hard to read, but Kabir could see those light blue eyes. The spirit stared at him and unhinged its jaw. 
a massive tongue spread out between its lips, dropping into the bucket to lap at the gravy. Kabir squeezed his eyes shut. A horrible howl bounced off the walls of the well and spiralled upwards. Then a strange, echoing voice spoke some of the few words of English Kabir had learned selling chai on the train platforms. No, no, no. More salt. Eyes still shut. Kabir carefully pulled the rope up, then opened them to quickly add the salt. Then he lowered the bucket again. Suddenly, the spirit grabbed the bucket, yanking it down. Kabir pitched forward, nearly falling into the well, but suddenly a hand grabbed him from behind. It was Mohini. The rope snapped and they fell backwards onto the ground. Mohini sprang up faster than he expected her old bones could. She dusted herself off and pulled Kabir up. They stood at the edge of the well, panting, watching the dark water. After she caught her breath, she nodded and told him to come back into the hospital. There was more work to do. Kabir protested. Hadn't he proved himself already? Mohini held open the doors and sighed. Our work isn't done until the patient is cured, Kabir. Kabir complained as they raced through the halls, but when they reached the boy's ward, he realized he couldn't bring himself to leave now. He was too entranced by what he saw inside. The boy thrashed about, fighting the straps that held him to the bed. His head twisted so far that it almost faced backwards. Those twin voices were speaking again, bellowing from deep within him. His skin shifted from dark brown to grey. Kabir winced at the boy's agonized screams. He asked Mohini where the doctors were. The nurse sighed. They are arguing with the boy's parents. A priest will be called, but this situation is irregular. So we must fix it. Mohini marched into the boy's room and Kabir scrambled after her, stunned at her bravery. The child went quiet as they approached, his breath coming in shallow gasps, his eyes fluttered. Kabir wanted to do something to soothe him. He remembered the boy's couplet from earlier and whispered it softly. "'Tis the mischief of the sky that decides your fate, young sir. Wise words for one so young." The boy smiled, and Kabir saw a flash of that youthful innocence again. But then, his eyes rolled back in his head. The spirit returned. "'Thank you for the food, old boy!' The child, or spirit, kept speaking, but once again his English was beyond Kabir's understanding. He looked to Mohini to translate. Her jaw clenched and she shut her eyes. Kabir got the sense that she was less scared now and more annoyed at her unusual patient. She muttered, The English general's tomb was damaged. We must repair it and help him reach salvation. She swallowed clearly uncomfortable with the notion of forgiveness for such a monster. Then she clarified, his form of salvation, or the child will be lost. Kabir watched 
as the boy writhed in pain. Do you truly believe that will be the end of it? For the first time, Mohini didn't hold his gaze. She looked away in frustration. Kabir continued, We both know how these men think. The well was a test, a game, and so is this request. Demand after demand will come. The general will stay in this boy because he knows we'll wait on him hand and foot. We can pray all we want, but this spirit doesn't respect us or our gods. Before Mohini could answer, the British soldier who had visited the boy earlier returned. He immediately began interrogating Mohini in English. Kabir couldn't understand most of it, but he caught that word again, fool. Suddenly, he realized the solution. He sprang forward and whispered to Mohini in Urdu, Tell the general spirit that we cannot help him, that we are fools. Only the British have the authority to rebuild a British tomb. He expected Mohini to argue, but she only smiled. She knew exactly what he meant, and they quickly glanced at the British soldier standing guard. Then Mohini approached the little boy in a manner that seemed entirely unnatural for the proud woman. Her voice was small, her hands flighty. She bowed her head and spoke in fast yet hesitant English, sometimes tripping, sometimes vaulting over the words. The spirit in the little boy looked upset, perhaps, Kabir thought, because she just told him that the hospital staff could not rebuild his tomb. The British soldier began to shout at Mohini again, but he was interrupted when the little boy inhaled deeply. All the air in the room seemed to disappear, sucked completely into his tiny lungs. Then he coughed. Something deathly white erupted from the boy's mouth, viscous and vaporous all at once. Kabir got the eerie feeling that if one was to touch that strange cloud, they would be pulled into it, so he stepped back as far as he could. The British soldier froze, shocked into silence. The mist wafted strangely in the air for a moment, then snapped forward like a cobra in the soldier's direction. Kabir stumbled backward. By the time he'd landed on the hospital floor, the cloud was gone. The boy had collapsed in his bed, and the British soldier blinked, looked back at the boy, Kabir, and Mohini, then ran from the hospital. Kabir and Mohini watched after him, shocked. Then, after a moment of silence, the boy in the bed opened his eyes. In a small voice, he began to speak in Urdu. He told them he was hungry. Mohini gasped in relief, and Kabir lingered, unsure of what to do next. Then Mohini shook her head and said, Kabir, why are you dawdling? The boy needs a good meal to recover, so you'd best run to the kitchen and start cooking. Kabir smiled and ran off to start his new job. In the months that followed, Kabir kept a low profile, even when the other cooks retold the possession story over and over. Not a day went by that someone didn't ask him to make them the Rogan Josh that, as they said, soothed a spirit. The strange events had changed Kabir's life for the better. 
but he didn't like being reminded of how a boy suffered for that to happen. He tried to put the tale out of his mind. Until the moment, he couldn't. Kabir ran up to Mohini on a busy day and pulled her into a corner. He told her that the cooks were gossiping about a disturbance up at the British fort. A soldier was unwell, throwing fits about repairing an old tomb. Apparently, he babbled this nonsense with the confidence and anger of a man far above his station, say, a general. Mohini narrowed her eyes. She told Kabir that the Raj would never let an Indian hospital treat a British soldier. This was simply none of their business. Then, Mohini smiled and walked off, and Kabir retreated to the bustle of the kitchen. Little is known about S. Mukherjee, the editor and compiler of Indian ghost stories. The collection was initially published in 1914 and again in 1917, meaning that knowledge of its editor has been lost in over a hundred years of history. But perhaps that mystery is fitting for the book itself, which is framed like a series of urban legends that Mukherjee claims could have actually happened. The stories range from old folk tales familiar to many Indians to modern stories based in the recent past. The boy possessed is the latter, and that is why it is one of the most chilling in the collection. The boy possessed concentrates the violation and confusion of systemic oppression into the life of a vulnerable child. When the general possesses the boy, it's as if we're witnessing forced assimilation in a supernatural context. The general spirit makes the boy speak English and demonstrate camaraderie with other British soldiers. The child is consumed by the world of his oppressor, with no way to escape apart from carrying out the spirit's demands. As listeners may remember from our episode on A Ghostly Wife, spirit possession is a commonly held belief in parts of rural India. And the process of exorcism usually does involve naming and negotiating with the spirit. But this story is different because of the spirit's foreign nature. The ghost of the British general has injected himself into a system he was never supposed to be a part of. Negotiation is nearly impossible, as he is able to effectively blackmail the Indian hospital staff into fulfilling his imperious wishes, then departs, never to be heard from again. In the preface of Indian Ghost Stories, Mukherjee writes, I do not know whether writing ghost stories is a mistake, because though the reader is a bit afraid of what he does not know, still he likes to be assured that ghosts do not in reality exist. It, however, cannot be denied that particular incidents do sometimes happen in such a way that they take our breath away. Whether the boy possessed is a true story or not, there is something about it that feels real. It speaks to a reality that the Indians and Pakistanis who lived under British occupation were forced to experience and it teaches us something. The spirit of oppression can never be fully exercised, and just like the ghost of the general, it is always 
hungry. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Haunted Places Ghost Stories